Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my enemy, my op, Mr. Daly. And Mr. Daly, boy, do I have a Coquitlam story for you. So obviously oh, cool. everyone listening cool. knows we listen, we live in the uh, the sunny, I was going to say sunny, but the very cloudy, wet suburb of Vancouver called Coquitlam. So last night, dude, it was Halloween and yep. I'm sitting at the dining table doing some work on my, my corporate laptop because I did have a great, hugely productive day. So I'm like, I kind of feel like I owe it, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, we haven't had a single kid come trick-or-treating. So my wife had taken my son out with some of their friends and I stayed home, but I heard some rustling outside. I'm just like, this rustling has been going on for a very long time. Like, why are these kids not ringing the doorbell? So I'm like, I'm just going to go <laughs> and open the door. And I open the door, dude, and there's a gigantic black bear, literally 40 no. inches from my face, going <laughs> through my garbage. I'm like, not, and it happens way too often because I always forget to lock our garbage bins, which is something you just have to do here. So I like, I slam the door and I go to grab my phone and I come out and the giant bear is dragging our garbage bag up the street, like just spilling garbage everywhere. So I screamed at him to take off. And then of course, good spend a good like half an hour cleaning up the mess. But just a good reminder, man, that our community is literally carved out of the side of a rainforest. Dude, how yeah, are you? Yeah, totally. yeah, I'm good. I have a similar story because there was this viral video that went around uh, this past summer of this bear stealing a golfer's uh, golf bag off the golf cart at Westwood Pla- Plateau. Uh, oh, is that golf where it was? I so, saw that. Yeah, so that is literally like just on the other side of the little like green belt where my house is. I'm like, that's the same blanking bear that like tears through my garbage every Friday morning. That time he just went after that guy's golf bag because he probably had a ham sandwich in there. Yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. And then, because you saw like the bear took it off the back of the golf cart, dragged into a ravine, and then he never saw his clubs again. <laughs> so, That's crazy hilarious, stuff. man. Dude, yeah, and, and, yeah. And for those of you that are maybe a little shocked that we're being so casual about the bears, the black bears aren't the problem. They eat fish and berries and garbage. It's the cougars which populate the hills of our community that you need to be a little bit more kind of conscious of. Yeah, yeah, I- I- exactly. So that that's a little bit of PSA is just, uh, you know, don't feed the bears garbage, I guess, is the moral of that story. Or lock your <laughs> garbage. Don't lock make your it too garbage. Easy. Don't encourage <laughs> them. So, dude, a, a couple of things. One, we always kind of do this great shout out to Magnus and the race weekend. So I had a conversation with Magnus today. Uh, cool. Of course, he's very excited because his Philadelphia 76ers have exited James Harden. But he and I were dude, talking about dude, Formula One. Magnus on. is always excited. He's like the most positive person I think I've known and met in a long time. Anyways, Dude, I totally, I, I I totally agree. But he is working on, and I'm not going to share the details because I don't know that I'm privy to, but the upcoming issue of Race Weekend Magazine is going to be an 
all-timer. And as I understand it, it's going to drop shortly before the Las Vegas Grand Prix, but it's an all-timer. And if that's not a good enough tease for you to drop by the Race Weekend website and and kind of order yourself up a subscription, I don't know what would be. But he kind of gave me some of the details. But again, like I said, I don't know if I should be sharing them on the air quite yet, but it's going to be an all-timer magazine. That's for sure. Cool, cool. Well, that that is a horrible tease. But anyways, uh, like you said, uh, you know, go go check them out theraceweekend.com, r a c e w k n d.com. If you decide to get a, a subscription, enter in our promo code scooteriapod at checkout, receive 10% off. Also head on over to racingexclusives.com. They've uh, provided this beautiful, gorgeous one-half scale Max Verstappen helmet autographed by the now three-time world champion. And we're going to give that away in just a couple of weeks. Comes with the COA, as does all their merch, so you know where it came from. And it's totally legit. And... Excuse me. And you can find them at racingexclusives.com. So just a quick uh, championship uh, update. After the Mexican Grand Prix this uh, past weekend, or the Mexico City Grand Prix, Max Verstappen, 491 points. Sergio Perez, 240. Lewis Hamilton, 220. Carlos Sainz, 183. Fernando Alonso, also 183 points. And then Lando Norris kind of knocking on the door of the top five. He has 169 points. Over in the constructors, we have uh, 731 points for Red Bull, 371 for Mercedes, 349 for Ferrari, 256 for McLaren, which I think they scored entirely since the beginning of July. It's been incredible. And then fifth, you have Aston Martin with a 236. And obviously, Max has wrapped up the World Drivers' Championship. Red Bull have won the Constructors' Championship. So why are we even here? But we still have, what, three races left. So that's why we're talking about bears getting into our garbage. Because (laughs) (laughs) our, 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 our garbage recycling pickup might actually be a little bit more exciting than was happening in Formula One. But that I'm timing is just the garbage a- <laughs> truck as it comes down the street. What there does that stop go. look it's like? like? Four <laughs> seconds. Yeah, so what was that? He's, he's up. He's, his Delta, he's ahead of schedule this week. He's going to yeah, set a yeah, fastest yeah, yeah, lap. Yeah, yeah. That's just how sad we are, Mark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, my gosh. Um, you have, do you have the fantasy? I do. I do. It's just, just a reminder nice and of exciting, right? the prize is, of course, the racing exclusives provided one half scale. Max Verstappen championship helmet that is also signed with a certificate of authenticity. Uh, This weekend, I actually dug out the helmet because I, to be totally honest, man, I put it away. I forgot where it was. So I had a (laughs) bit of a panic this weekend trying to find it, but I found it at the bottom of a closet. So it is bubble wrap, it is boxed, and it is paired with the certificate of authenticity. So like you said, three three races and we're going to know who the winner is and that's going to be in the mail. So if you are in the top 10, the top 15, continue to pay attention. And if you are the race winner, I don't know how to associate the the teams on the list with an individual. So what I will ask the, the race winner or the championship winner to do is reach out to us, send us an email, just send us a screenshot of your of your team profile on the F1 website as kind of proof that that's you. Um, and then we'll make arrangements to ship it to you via UPS or FedEx or whatever it is. Hopefully shipping is not going to be crazy, but again, we're obligated to do this. So we'll make sure we get it to you. But in terms of who's leading the championship right now, Michael Cronje 16 on 5,843 points. Following in number two up to spot number two, Vernon Pago, Marquinhos, 5,809 points. Number three, Zanata, team three, followed by Axis Simon, Vince Des, three, Matt Noob, team three, Bengals, Bubs, who I actually just messaged earlier today, Matt Noob, team two, Aaron Kiernalinen, 
I still can't get that. Zenata Team 1, USAP 2, Joel's 1, McLarlando, Yellow Racing, Matt New Team 1, and finally in the 16th spot, I'll just arbitrarily stop there, Vince Des 1. But I think my point is, if you look at the top three teams right now, they're only separated by 40 points. And when you're talking about accumulating hundreds of points per race weekend, it's still wide open. And of course, this weekend, unfortunately, is a sprint race weekend, which I'd completely forgotten. And I was devastated to see when I was pulling up the the race preview for this weekend. So tons and tons of points still available. This thing is wide open, baby. Wide open. Yeah, exciting, exciting. And you never mentioned right off at of the top that you never let me get my hands on the the the, the prize that we're going to give away because you just knew that if if it got out of your sight even for half a second, I just would never have you know taken it or given it back. So you did the right thing by burying it in a closet and keeping it safely away from from me. And you dude. Know. Don't forget, Tease also gave us a signed Pierre Gasly helmet, which presumably we can use for the Fantasy League next year, if you and I are still mm-hmm. together doing this show. But we've got next year's prize <gasps> lined up already as well. Are you threatening to break up? Are you threatening to go solo or something like that? Well, you know, you never Dude, know what I- happens. It's it's podcasts are a lot of work, man. And you know, it's funny, like when you were away on your mystery trip for the three or four months, it was um, from April till October 15th. uh, (laughs) It's dude, it's a lot of work. The only benefit of recording by yourself is you can pause and take a break. So like a couple of times when I was recording, like, you know, I didn't like that. I'm going to pause, delete, do that again. But it also makes the episode really choppy. And when you go Mm -hmm. back and notice it, you can see like, uh, I stopped here and I stopped here and I took a break here. So I prefer our approach, our free flowing, as you say, direct to tape or whatever your expression is. Like, mm-hmm. I like this approach. It might be, might not be perfect, but it's more organic and authentic. I like the, the yeah. dual approach. It's kind of nice because you can only t- talk so much and then you kind of like hand it off to, I hand it off to you or vice versa. And then that person rambles on for another minute. And that's why <laughs> we rambling. have like like 90 minute episodes here that could like probably be wrapped up in 15 minutes if we were actually professional about all this. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Anyways, before we get into the show itself, uh, just another a quick reminder: the uh, our watch party coming up at uh, at your place in what two weeks now? Can you believe oh it's actually gosh, November? Two well, weeks. Yeah, yeah. And scary, so, right? By the way, big shout out to you because the last two race weekends, I didn't actually get to see the race until much, much later because I've been talking about this. Like, I've torn my house apart because all I wanted, and I'll be totally honest, the whole point of this race watch party, it was a giant con job to convince my wife to get a new TV. But getting a new TV (laughs) meant taking out our existing wall-mounted stand and some wall cladding, which meant a ton of drywall work and painting, which meant painting multiple walls, which meant painting multiple baseboards, which means, well, I should probably touch up all these other damaged areas throughout the house. And then new electrical work, and it just kept growing and growing, and then new furniture purchases and new... like It's become a massive thing. So Thank you to you for stepping in and and letting me focus on the house the last two weekends. So everything is done. My good friend, Mr. Gil Gamboa, um, has been providing a lot of guidance um, with respect to uh, kind of the the home theater, kind of the technical side, which I'm totally not capable of doing. So big shout out to Gil, who, of course, I used to co-host the Flash F1 podcast back in the day. And he'll also hopefully be at the watch party as well, which I'm super excited about. But yeah, again... Two weeks, just a little over two weeks, man. Like at one point it was 80 days, 50 days, 30 days. Now we're sitting here. We're basically, I think, 17 days out. So Saturday, November the 18th, 
fully, fully catered. We'll have food. We'll have drink. Um, if you plan to drink, make sure to make uh, arrangements for Uber. Have a friend drop you off or pick you up or come with somebody that's going to be a designated driver. We want to make sure that everyone's super responsible. And again, the only thing we're going to ask is that you make a $30 donation to the Canadian Mental Health Association, which I, I think is an organization that is near and dear to both of us. But yes, yeah, 17 days away, man. 17 days. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I still can't believe that we we just hit the first of November today, and it was kind of funny too because I noticed when I went picked up the mail today, there were all these flyers full of like Christmas things. You got and, the Toys R Us one, I'm sure you got that one. Yeah, we got that one too because the kids are going over that uh, yeah, right now, yeah. so they're they're circling all the things that they're not going to get for Christmas, and they'll be disappointed come the big day. But you're uh, such you a know. bad dad, man. <laughs> but that's also the byproduct of having 17 kids, right? Like your that, dollar has true. to go that much farther. Yeah, that. that that, that's right. You know, it's just, uh, you know, times are tough, my friend. <laughs> Anyways, times aren't tough if you like other things Formula One related because Braun, the impossible F1 story hosted by Mr. Keanu Reeves, the trailer is now live on Disney Plus. I haven't had a chance to check it out, Mark. It's Did good. you get a chance so to see Is it so good? So I don't know if it, I don't know where it's going to be airing in the US, but in Canada and the UK, it's going to be on Disney Plus. So Disney Plus, despite the fact that our federal finance minister said, hey, the, the ointment, not the ointment, the the medication for all your financial, I don't know if people heard this, but some time ago, our finance minister, I'm going super political here, made a comment that if people are having financial struggles in Canada, they should cancel their Disney Plus subscription. But I'm not canceling it because we use it a lot. But it's going to be on Disney Plus in the UK and Canada, I think maybe Hulu in the US. But it's mm -hmm. this phenomenal documentary that's being spearheaded by Keanu Reeves, and it dives into the 2009 Cinderella Bronze series. The trailer looks really good. And Keanu Reeves is awesome, and his passion for F1 really comes out, really shines through in this trailer. Uh, side note, on the plane recently, I saw John Wick 4, which is amazing. Everyone has to see that. It looks, it sounds fantastic. It's really cool. But anyways, the documentary is awesome, and it's going to be dropping, I, I guess, at some point before the end of the year. Make sure you check out the trailer because it'll get you excited. And I know a lot of our listeners weren't watching F1 in 2009. This is a great way to revisit which what was one of the most magical seasons in the history of the sport. Yeah, yeah. This I can't wait to see this uh, series as soon as it go goes live here, which you know comes right at the perfect time of year for me when things kind of tail off at the end of the year. Okay, so uh, before we start uh, talking about Danny Ricardo and Sergio Perez, because we're going to talk about that a lot, um, Chris Medland had a, an interesting tweet and uh, said, "quote." Been doing a little bit of maths for a feature, and over the past five race weekends, Lewis Hamilton has outscored Sergio Perez by an average of seven points per weekend. Maintained that rate over the final three, and he pipped Checo to second place by one point. That is really kind of interesting. Like that's that we're having that conversation now that this could actually happen. That Lewis could overtake Sergio Perez for second in, in the drivers' championship. I mean. Obviously, he wants to win. Mercedes wants to win the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship. But if he could actually do that, would that be a huge W for Mercedes, considering where they've been over the past almost two years? Last year, right off this year, you know, changed philosophy like always. Yeah, you know, while the season was going on, so to recover from that to a second in the drivers' championship, I think would be a huge moral victory uh, for for them. Anyways, thought that was kind of a cool stat. Yeah, I've got some comments about Lewis, but I'll share those for a little. I'll save those for a little later in the show because we've got another story about Hamilton and Mercedes and putting together a car that could potentially compete with Red Bull next year. But but uh, yeah, we can circle back on that one in a little bit. 
Yeah. So why do we get into the 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 the, the fun part, the conversation? Maybe it's more fun if you're a Danny Ricardo fan compared to if you're a Checo fan. But still, uh, this first uh, article comes from uh, F1.com, written by Philip Clearan, uh, entitled. Um, Outstanding Ricardo looked his old self in Mexico GP, and there's some uh, really good uh, quotes in here from uh, from Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal. First one is, quote, it's great to see Daniel performing so well, and it fully endorses the reason why we brought him back into AlphaTauri just prior to the summer break. I thought he was outstanding this weekend, fighting Mercedes in an AlphaTauri. Had it been not for the red flag, he probably would have finished uh, further up. A great performance from him, and certainly it looked like the Daniel of old, end quote. So, so shall we just jump into this, uh, Mark? You know, that uh, Sergio Perez, had he made that move on the outside of turn one, on lap one of the Mexico City Grand Prix, if he pulled that off, he would have looked like a rock star. Unfortunately, he can't get three cars into one in that one corner. Sergio and uh, Charles Leclerc came together. Sergio went airborne and uh, retired uh, shortly thereafter. And then um, Charles went on to finish the race, finished on the podium, of course. But it's it's just another one of those um, incidents, right? I mean, l- l- let me ask you this, Mark. If you're Sergio Perez, you are where you are in the championship Max has got the championship uh, wrapped up for the drivers, so you don't need to run cover for him, be his wingman. Uh, you don't have to worry about Red Bull not winning the Constructors' Championship. All those things are now taken care of, so now it's your one opportunity to to make a name for yourself at your home Grand Prix where tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of your your, your countrymen have shown up to support you. Are, you. are you doing the same thing Sergio did? No. I, I don't think I don't think I do, and and I think and I, I this isn't a criticism of Sergio Perez because he made obviously some comments post race that said, look, you know what? If I wanted to contend for a race win, I needed to make that move at that exact moment, or I was that that opportunity was going to get away from me for a, a variety of different reasons. But I think the risk and and it's it's always got to be a calculated decision, right? And he had to have been thinking about this pre race that I don't think that was a decision he made in the moment. I think his thought was, if I catch a slipstream and I'm in a position overtake, I'm going to make the effort to do it. I just think that the risk versus reward is so low here that even if he manages to squeeze by the Ferraris, he's never going to catch his teammate. That maybe best luck, he finishes on the podium in a P2 or a P3, and maybe that's a good outcome. But the the offset is, hey, you don't make this super risky move, and you still finish well within the points, and you come home, and you cross the, the finish line, and people cheer for you. And that's a good outcome. It's just to, to make that maneuver and to assume that risk and to take that risk and then kind of have to deal with the fallout of that is just is terrible and it's not like he's in a position where he's comfortably p2 in the championship by 100 points which is probably where he should be we we know as per that comment from chris medlin a couple of minutes ago that lewis has every opportunity to pass him in the championship and i think if lewis hadn't been disqualified hadn't been disqualified in in coda because of the issue with the thickness of the plank which again was a mercedes issue although i'm sure many other teams had would have suffered the same fate if they were tested but i just i think that i think it's a very risky move and ultimately i i think maybe part of this is because he maybe knows some things that we don't that maybe the decisions already been made that he's not going to be back and maybe he's thinking like hey there's an opportunity here for me to have a 
to go out with a bang, to go out with a flash at, at my home Grand Prix that maybe he's thinking this is my last opportunity to race in front of my home fans. And I'm going to, I'm going to take that risk. So again, it's not a criticism, but I wouldn't have done it. I would have just said, Hey, you know what? I have the opportunity to finish P3, P4, P5, score a bunch of points and cross the finish line. Or alternatively, it's going to be the super risky move and I'm going to DNF and I'm going to be out and, and maybe my season and my career is officially over. But now he's in this super mm -hmm. tenuous position where he only sits 20 points ahead of Lewis in the championship. And, and there's three races left and Lewis has every opportunity to pass him, which is terrifying. Well, I, I'm just looking at the season stats here right now. So he started the season yeah, not, not too bad. He had uh, the, the first five races of the year from Bahrain through to, to Miami. He had uh, two wins in Saudi and Azerbaijan, two P2s in Bahrain and uh, Miami, then a P5 in Australia. Then have that forgettable uh, weekend in Monaco, uh, ends up uh, finishing 16th. And then you have that long run between Spain all the way up to, to, to Singapore. During that point, uh, uh, you know, he had some, he had a couple of podium finishes. He had uh, two threes and uh, two P2s and then uh, finished, um, you know, a couple of P6s, a couple of P4s, a P8 in Singapore. They get to Japan. He, he retires from that one. 10th in Qatar, 4th at, uh, at Coda a couple of weeks ago, and then, um, you know, retired, obviously, on the first lap of the Mexico City Grand Prix last week. But, I mean, you know, since Singapore, I mean, his best results is a 4th. You know, when you look at uh, the same time, like, Max finished 5th in Singapore and then has rattled off four consecutive wins in Japan, Qatar, USA, and Mexico. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Max has had, obviously, a you know, an outstanding year. Like fifth is the the worst result that he had, and other than fifth, the only uh, you know the, his two other worst results, and I'm using uh, air like the inverted commas here, was a P2 in Saudi and a P2 in uh, Azerbaijan, which were the the, the, the races that uh, that Sergio made, or sorry that 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 one. But I get the point that you're making, Mark. That that Sergio is you know kind of in this really slippery position. He should be comfortably ahead. We we should be having this conversation that he could be pipped by Lewis Hamilton to, to second place in the driver's championship. And it'd be interesting too, like if we kind of did the math and see how many points that he uh, left on the table here. I mean, yeah, it could easily be a, a hundred points, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not really sure he knows something that, that, that we don't know, but maybe he's got like a good suspicion. Maybe they had some sort of, um, you know, you know, discussion internally that, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go with you for 2024, but, you know, these are the things that we're going to have to see. Maybe they sent some some sort of benchmark for him over the last, I don't know, five races a season, their second half of the season or something like that, because even all those uh, other results, right? I mean, like after like Miami or, or after Monaco, I mean, he becomes like a little bit like erratic. I mean, like fourths and sixes and a 10th in Qatar and stuff like that. I mean, the, you know, the, and the thing is, with them, they got the car, right? Everybody wants to have a Red Bull. Everybody wants to be in that car because everybody knows how good it is. And this is a championship winning car. But, you know, he's not been consistent, say, as Valtteri Bottas was at, at Mercedes, right, Mark? W what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're I, grimacing. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just compiling my thoughts. I, I think the the challenge for Sergio Perez, and I think where things started to go off the rails this year was qualifying, and and ultimately you yes. you you just kind of ran off a bunch of the 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 
poor results in the back half of the season, or maybe the kind of the final act, as, as you might call it. But I think a big byproduct or a big kind of manifestation, or uh, I would say trigger or catalyst for these results was the fact that he's just struggling so badly in, in qualifying trim that he's going out there and he's really competing against nobody but himself. And in a lot of cases, he wasn't getting out of Q1 or Q2, and he was struggling to get to Q3. And, and in doing so, despite the fact that he's got the best car in the grid, the minute you qualify P5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all of a sudden, you've got 6, 7, 8 cars in front of you. So when those that, that light turns green, all of a sudden, or the lights go out, all of a sudden, you have to fight all of these other cars, and you make life so much more difficult for you that really the, the gift of having a car like the RB19 is... I should be able to qualify clear of everyone else so that when the lights go out, I'm in clean air and the only person I'm competing with is my teammate. And because he couldn't qualify well, he would put himself at this massive disadvantage every single time. And then once he's caught up in traffic, he started making all of these unforced errors. And, and as a result, he would struggle even, even more. And there was some bad luck and some things that didn't go necessarily his way. But the single biggest issue is purely Sergio Perez not being able to qualify effectively. And if you look at his qualifying performance over the, the course of the season, especially as we get into this final act, they just crater. And I think we had conversations about the frequency with which he couldn't get out of Q2 and the frequency with which he was, in some cases, not getting out of Q1, that that's just absolutely unacceptable given that car and given the fact that in qualifying like I said, you're competing really against nobody but yourself. And I think that's where the downfall of his season came. And people can argue, oh, well, the car's built for the car's built for Max Verstappen. It's his driving style, it's his driving style. But Sergio Perez isn't a young driver. And I get that the, the sense I get is that, you know. Max likes to go deep and rotate the car and that Sergio takes kind of a slower, more square or U-shaped turn into to corners. But ultimately, he's had a couple of years now to adapt his driving style. And if you look at the first four or five races of the season where he had two race wins and two second place finishes, he clearly knows how to maneuver this car. But something went wrong and it was either that the development of the car went in a direction that he wasn't comfortable with, or maybe he's battling himself and it's become a psychological nightmare for him on the track. But ultimately, I think at this point, I would be not shocked. I would be stunned if he came back. And you know, you and I were messaging on Sunday about this, that ultimately the race weekend couldn't have been worse for Sergio Perez in terms of securing his seat for next year. And I know he's got a contract, but again, that doesn't mean anything. And it couldn't have been <laughs> better for Daniel Ricardo. And I, I was reading something a couple of days ago that made a lot of sense. And it was that, look, Daniel Ricardo's performance on the weekend um, looked maybe better than it was and that he's being partnered with a really great car right now that the development of the ATO four has come a long way. But at the same time, at the same time, all of the credit for the development of the ATO four since Zanfort and even before Zanfort is on Daniel Ricardo. that as soon as he got paired with the Alpha Tauri team and he started providing input to his race engineer and that was trickling down to the factory, all of a sudden the team was getting this massive stream of ultra-valuable feedback from an established, accomplished driver that knows who he's, what he's talking about. And all of a sudden, all of the decisions that they were making with respect to the setup of the suspension and the aerodynamic surface and all those kind of pieces, all of a sudden, all of their decisions were being informed by this really great feedback. So suddenly you've got Daniel Ricardo in this car who is 
significantly better as a driver than Nick DeVries or Yuki Tsunoda. And number two, all of a sudden their development is being fast-tracked because they're getting better feedback from an accomplished driver. So one, the car he's in now is significantly better than the AT04 was earlier in the season. But two, he's just the best driver that they've had in a couple of years. So all of a sudden, this this kind of... Uh, co- kind of combination of driver and improved car is manifesting itself in really great qualifying performances. Like he qualified P4. What the heck? Qualified P4 in Mexico and finished P7 in the race. That's fantastic. And all of a sudden you have to think that Daniel Ricardo is going to be in the Red Bull next year. And there was some really great articles this week that kind of talked about the fact that, look, Daniel Ricardo really struggled at McLaren and we all know. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. And Daniel Ricardo has a very specific driving style that a lot of drivers like to go really deep into a corner and they brake really hard. And then they have a very slow technical rotation of the car. And it's almost like a V-shaped turn. And that's what the McLaren was good at doing. And Daniel Ricardo's driving style is, you know what? He prefers a slower approach, braking a little bit earlier, but he likes to rotate more gradually through the corner. And that's his driving style. And the AT04 is very compatible with that driving style. And presumably so too, is the RB19 and its successor of the RB20, but he's just in a really great place. We're seeing the old Daniel Ricardo. I think all of the comments that you're hearing, especially from people like Christian Horner, are very, very, very genuine. But I have to think at this point that I was talking to my buddy Randy about this a couple of days ago, and, and he was making this great comment that if you're Red Bull, you know what? Forget what you owe Sergio Perez. You're accountable to the owners of the team. And you're also accountable to the sponsors that are pumping tens of millions of dollars into that team. And they expect to see not one, but two drivers competing for race wins. They're not signing up and cutting checks for five, 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year to see one of the drivers in the best car in the world finishing P5, 6, 7, 8 every single race and struggle in the midfield. That's not what they're signing up for. And ultimately, if Christian Horner doesn't make the decision to swap those drivers, I think his hand's going to be forced because the sponsors are going to put pressure on him to to make that swap. And again, Daniel Ricardo, by the way, is the marketer's dream. Like as a salesperson, if you're out there selling sponsorship and you have Daniel Ricardo on your team, like he's just absolutely gold and he makes that conversation so much easier. But just a remarkably bad weekend for Sergio Perez, regardless of the fact that it was his home Grand Prix and just a phenomenal Kind of phenomenal result for Daniel Ricardo, and I think Christian Horner's probably now seen enough that, regardless of what happens in the final three races, I think he's probably seen everything he needs to see to make a decision for next year. Well, you you know you make a, like a really really good point, right? It's just like like how much do you need, like in terms of you know like look looking over the pros versus the cons of of uh, you know where you're deciding who's going to be your partner for 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 Max Verstappen, and I mean like not only is he giving the team that great feedback to, to develop this car, which you know I think politely put you know handled about as good as a sack of hammers at the beginning of uh, of, of the season, and then Ricardo comes in halfway through the year and he has a couple of races in and around the summer break either side then he has that crash in 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 holland at zanford 
that keeps him out of the car for several races. And he comes back and, you know, second race back, he does this, you know, puts the car like in qualifying into onto P4, you know, on the second row of the grid. It's like, come on, who does that? And then, like you say, brings it home, not just in the top 10, but a very solid top 10 finish. Who knows if, if that uh, safety car didn't happen because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the result that Kevin Magnuson shunt literally at uh, the, the halfway point of the race, who knows where he could have ended up. But I, I think that, uh, you know, it was an exciting result for him, obviously, and and anybody that's cheering for him. But Alpha Tauri as well, like 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 his team, you must be feeling somewhat uh, justified or validated, I guess, that uh, you know the car wasn't as bad as we thought, but they just didn't have um, you know the people to do because Yuki. Let, let's be fair. I mean, I still think he's like a, a diamond in the rough. I mean, my, my question is, how long do they want to take to develop him and uh, see if he can reach the potential that they? they think that he can reach and then the nick defries obviously was a, a disappointed a disappointment despite being what was it 27 28 years old you would have thought he would have brought like a lot more to the to the team maybe he did uh and we just don't hear about some of these like lesser visible stories like we we hear about like ricardo just with all the feedback that he's giving to the to the team on setup and uh, all these uh, different things right so it um I, I don't know. I, I think the case kind of, you know, sadly for Checo, it, it kind of sadly works against him at, at this point. And um, whether or not they decide to pull the plug sooner or later, that remains the question if they feel so inclined to do so, because they're not racking up and dominating the sport like uh, Mercedes did, because there was always Nico and always Lewis and always Valtteri Bottas, who was ever in that car from 2014 onwards. It was just guaranteed that you were going to have at least one Mercedes on the podium, usually two. And there were not very many instances when you saw like one on their own or heaven forbid two of them off the podium, because it's like they either won everything <laughs> and end up up second and third or you know, they did, they did, they did do anything at all. And there weren't too many instances of like catastrophic mechanical failures. There were obvious some self-inflicted DNFs and incidents, as you know, if we go back and talk about the Rosberg Hamilton era, et cetera, but um, I don't know just, but, but Ricardo, like when you look at him, he just looks in a much better place. We'll talk about that. We're way late for a break. We'll do that. Come back in a moment. Uh, so don't go away. We will be back after a short message from our sponsors. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here. We're talking about Danny Ricardo and uh, Sergio Perez. But uh, just before the break, I'd mentioned uh, that, that Danny Ricardo just looks in a better place. Uh, don't you think? Don't Isn't the vibe that you're getting like from Danny Ricardo like 180 degrees opposite to this time last year when it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that uh, had they announced Piastri by this point in the season? I think I think they probably did, right? It was, it was in the fall sometime. So, I mean, it was just kind of you know, like you were just waiting for the ball to drop on that one because you know it just hadn't worked despite uh, almost two full seasons uh, with the uh, McLaren for all the you know the, the right things that you mentioned uh, before the break mark but uh, it, it really seems to be that Ricardo seems like the Ricardo of old like sort of pre-2018 because I, I think that when he left <clears throat> excuse me, Red Bull, at the end of the 2018 season. I, I think there was frustration there. I kind of picked that uh, that that vibe up that, uh, you know, at that point, it was, it was pretty obvious that they were going to build this team and this car around Max. And uh, Ricardo, I think at that point, realized... Well, obviously, he realized that uh, that his destiny laid, uh, you know, somewhere else. But uh, you know that that top seat just wasn't open for him, and say at a Mercedes or Ferrari or anyone uh, l- l- like that. So he ends up going to a, a middle of the grid kind of team with with Renault. That doesn't really work out. I mean, he had what, a couple of podiums at the end there of his uh, stint uh, with the with the with Renault. Then moves over to McLaren, and we had some flashes of things, right? And I mean. It uh, in, in the long run, it just didn't uh, pan out the way that, uh, that 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 he really wanted. But then come back to you know to to, to Red Bull. We talked about it at the time, right? That we, we thought you know both uh, you and I that um, that uh, Ricardo by uh, going back to Red Bull, even as a reserve driver, just seemed like a, like a good a good move for. Him. What, what what do you think? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> nothing further to add on that one. But you know, like, but seriously yeah. though, I mean, he did. Uh, it it seemed like a much better for him personally, right? Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And and I think obviously, I think the car was better, and I I think the environment was better, and I think there was some familiarity there. And I I don't think that the hunger was ever gone, but I I think sometimes to have some time away from the paddock and to be able to focus on yourself and to be able to focus on sim work is is something that is probably um is probably something that's very very valuable to a driver that was kind of in his current mind state. Yeah, absolutely right. And I I guess 
like, where do you think? Like, you know, so a couple people have been asking me this all week, and well, for for a little while, and just like, what, what do you think Red Bull is going to do with uh, Ricardo and, and and Perez? And I really don't think that there's any way to call it. We we know that they have a history of literally making changes to driver lineups at the dude, what, at dude, least publicly it's looks Ricardo. like it has to be Ricardo. It just it has to be. I think I think he's shown enough and I think Sergio's shown enough that they can't come back next year. They could they could because they know they can slot Ricardo in very quickly because he's got all the sim work and they know they can slot um, Liam Lawson into the Alpha Tauri, but I just I just think it would be incredibly valuable to give Daniel Ricardo the winter knowing that psychologically I'm going to be driving for the Milton Keynes based team. And then you give mm-hmm. Liam Lawson the winter to psychologically prepare to come in as a full-time driver for Alpha Tauri. Like I just think that's the right thing you do. And it's not like it's not like their obligations to to Sergio Perez are huge financially. It's a one-year contract that they'll pay out and send him on his way. I just think that's probably the right thing to do. And this is where it benefits you as Red Bull to have a second team in the premier class of global motorsports in Alpha Tauri that they can have these conversations. But I just think it's so logical that it's going to be Daniel Ricciardo. Now, maybe he falls off a cliff and they haven't made a decision and Sergio Perez runs off three straight race wins, but I don't see that happening. And even if it did, I just think they've seen enough from both drivers to have made their decision. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I don't even see Max like 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 lifting at all. I mean, he's certainly... He's 150 I, I of think 16. he's always... He, he'll win all three, yeah, man. I, yeah, I, I mean, I just don't think he's programmed to 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 ease up like ever. I mean, regardless of the fact that that Red Bull are constructors champions, regardless of the fact that uh, that he's cha- world champion again, I think that all Max knows how to do is get into a, a racing car, give it one hundred and ten percent, go out there win races. I I just don't think that 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 you know, I don't think he's has that like mentality that he's just going to phone it in. It's just like well that's not what I'm getting paid to do. My job is to go win races. Like who cares if I'm I'm already world champion, I'm I'm supposed to win races. Let's go win another race (laughs) because, you know, like going back to that graphic that you had last uh, week, you know, that sort of that, that uh, spoke uh, uh, diagram with all the different race wins and things like that. I mean, when you look at all the dates on that and how many weight race wins that this guy has uh, racked up, especially the last couple of years, it is absolutely uh, phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it. Like, especially like, so his teammate can can win one. Like, uh, you know, out of everyone, I would be like, well, if, if Max, I would think would be of the attitude. Well, if Sergio thinks he can beat me, then let him come out here and 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 beat me. Like, all he has to do is drive faster than me, and he'll win. <laughs> kind of thing. I I think with Max, it's really that binary, right? It's it's just like, you know, there there isn't uh, too much uh, to it. I I don't think he would wrong be wrong. I mean, it's just like I probably be the, the same way if somebody thinks they're better than me. And come out and prove it you know it's either uh you know you know deliver the goods uh, or don't anyways we spent a lot of time talking about that uh, let's talk now about uh, aston martin uh, mark this is a team that you and i've been so excited about for the last couple of years and they, they've shown some flashes and they, they get us excited because there's obviously the big canadian connection there with the strolls and all the money that they've invested in the team it's a classic brand that that, that everybody loves and we're really excited to see that that's why it was so much fun to watch the beginning of the year and i just remember like back in miami you know, you know happy fernando joking you know with the with the, with danica patrick in the interviews of like this is like a side to fernando alonso that we've like 
probably never seen ever in the history of formula one he, he looked like he was so happy and it looked like it was such a good place he was enjoying stuff but over the course of the season obviously that that second the, the second best car to red bull the better yeah, they were better than ferrari better than mercedes but they've all they've all improved and passed them. So, I mean, they lost out that uh, second place to uh, Mercedes, then to Ferrari, now to Aston Martin. They're not going to drop down any further in the constructors, but if you look, uh, you know, the, the the teams that are behind them, I mean, it would be, I mean, I think it truly has to be embarrassing to where they are right now for them as an organization compared to where they started from. But there is, there's a reason to that. Like, like let, let's dive into that a little bit uh, deeper, Mark. Yeah, I, I think the good news is they're going to get this sorted out that it's it's an interesting topic to speak to simply because to your point, they were so, and I should be cautious when I say that it's not they, Fernando Alonso was spectacular to begin the season and put in some exceptional drives and scored some exceptional results. But I think regardless of where they are now, and I think it probably feels like they're in the cavern or the abyss, and it's, it's probably very, it feels, it feels probably... Uh, hopeless and they're clawing desperately to get out of it. But ultimately, I think at some point during the season, they broke this car conceptually. And I don't think they understand what they broke. And I think every time they feel that they've got an upgrade that's going to fix the problem, it doesn't work. And then they're scrambling to try to undo and reverse the work that they've just done to get back to where they were when they were successful. And, you know, Dan Fallows, who was, of course, head of aerodynamics at Red Bull, came over. And I think early in the season, there was a lot of speculation that he had brought with him some of the fundamental aerodynamic concepts that had made Red Bull successful. And I think they'd applied them to the car to great effect early in the season. And I think that the general belief within the paddock was that while that concept worked, they didn't know how to improve upon it. That, hey, look, we've copied the homework, but we didn't really understand the, the formula and the equation that got us there. And as they tried to iterate and improve upon that concept, they ultimately took it in the wrong direction and they broke it. And Mike Crack's spoken about this at length. But I just, I don't think they they're in a good place yet. And it's also not clear to us yet whether, hey, they've really abandoned this car. I know they continue to iterate and bring some upgrades as they try to level out the performance, but I think they probably fundamentally shift their focus to next year's car, uh, the next iteration of the AMR. And I think that's probably where their money and their focus should be in a cost cap era. But yeah, it, it's it's really fascinating that this car could look so good. And I know you and I, because it was so clear at the beginning of the year that Red Bull was going to romp to the championship and they were going to dominate. But the sexy topic for us was that, wow, Fernando Alonso, suddenly this fun, charismatic dude, and he's suddenly very likable. And all of a sudden, Aston Martin, the team that you and I had gotten behind in a big way in 21 and 22, they're scoring podiums and they look like they could win a race this year. I know earlier this year, you and I were even having a conversation about how likely is it that they could win a race. And of course, course there's there's nothing farther there's nothing farther from viability right now than them winning a race but they they fundamentally broke the car but i think back to my initial point the good news is they have a very committed invested owner that's pumped a ton of money into this car and i know about a month ago 5 weeks ago that there was a lot of speculation that this team was possibly being positioned for sale to a Saudi-based organization and that uh, Saudi Aramco, who's of course one of their major sponsors, was helping to broker that deal. Uh, that hasn't come to fruition and maybe it still does. And even if it does, I think that 
Lawrence Stroll has taken several years to build some really great infrastructure at Silverstone to set this team up for success. So obviously the second half of the season has been a huge disappointment. And I think Lance Stroll has been exceptionally disappointing throughout the season. And we've kind of had that conversation ad nauseum, but I think that Fernando Alonso is still the right driver for this team. And I think if they can come back with a better car next year, that kind of builds on the successes that they had early in the season from an aerodynamic perspective and doesn't have the failings that this car has developed and inherited as the season went on, they'll be in really good place. But I'm not super worried. I'm disappointed because they look so good and it was spicing up the championship, but I suspect they'll come back with a really strong contender next year. Oh, let, 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 let's hope so, because they certainly at the, the the beginning of the year when they were doing so much better, like it, it was just one of those feel good stories that, yeah, it looks like Max is going to walk this one this year and Red Bull's going to win the Constructors Championship. I thought it was such a good story that you, you have this team that has its genesis in a very small operation. And then, like you see, you get like this committed owner that comes in, dumps a, a ton of money into the team. They've got this brand new factory, this brand new facility that uh you know they're they're, they're going to move into they're hiring they're expanding their workforce and then sadly as the season has gone on you know they've uh you know they, they've they've dropped down through the order and um you know it's I, I guess it is what it what it is but hopefully at some point all that investment and all you know not just in in you know in in hardware and facilities and things like that but also the 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 money that they've invested in people and bringing those people to the team will will pay off as well and that uh, they'll be able to design a, a a winner because i was getting used to to happy fernando because i've i've had a bit of a love hate relationship with him over the the course of his uh, formula 1 year, uh, career it's been more on the on the on the hate side but i i found something quite uh, what's what's the proper word uh you know a, attractive about happy fernando is like you know he looks like he's in a good place he's driving good he's getting results i i feel like i want to cheer for him which is at odds with, <laughs> with the way that i felt about him at the time with mclaren and ferrari and and, and, and everything else but uh, however it is uh, what it is okay next story this is an interesting one i'll i'll, I'll let you talk about this one but uh, patronas is um you know they've um, acquired the naming rights to the sepang circuit which is where we've had the uh, malaysian grand prix uh, well we haven't had it for a couple of years uh because it uh, fell off of the, the 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 calendar but patronas is a is a big name big company with uh, very deep pockets do you get the feeling mark that uh, we're going to see a return to formula one at uh, sepang or is this just uh, kind of a a, a small thing or or do you think that uh, maybe patronus is is trying to pump some money into that facility so the owners uh you know that the, the uh, can try and attract formula one back what, what's your take I, think, I know this is your yeah you're kind of in your wheelhouse i think that's a really good question and i think the unfortunate reality is a lot of our our listeners never had the opportunity to see a live grand prix from sepang and Boy, was that a great circuit. And for those of you that don't know, the Sepang International Circuit, which I guess has now been renamed, uh, sits immediately adjacent to the Kuala Lumpur International Airport. It sits on the outskirts of Kuala Lumpur, and it was a phenomenal track. It was great for MotoGP, and it was great for Formula One. And for many years, it hosted both Formula One and MotoGP. But in the country of Malaysia, 
Motorcycle racing is king and the MotoGP events at the circuit sell out and they draw huge crowds. And I think over the years, it became tougher and tougher and tougher to sell the F1 ticket or the volume of tickets to an F1 race to make it viable. And the bigger challenge too is by car, the Sepang circuit is only three hours from Singapore. It's like 311 kilometers. It's not far. And I think the challenge was you had two races that were effectively cannibalizing each other. They were cannibalizing each other from a sponsorship perspective, and they were also cannibalizing Mobilizing each other from a ticket sales perspective. And I just, I don't think it was really going to be viable. And I, I think if it was going to happen, maybe we could have seen something during the COVID period. But I think ultimately this was a, a country that was very cautious and conservative when it came to managing the COVID pandemic. But I don't think there's any likelihood. I mean, anything's possible. I just don't think that this is going to happen. If, of course, Patronus is also very much involved in the motorcycle racing world and they have sponsorships on a ton of bikes. And I think this probably reflects that. And I think it probably also reflects the fact that the rights were available for a song and Petronas or Patronus being a kind of a, a Malaysian based entity probably got a really good deal. And I think it was probably also just the right thing to do from a, a national perspective. Uh, but I don't think it means that Formula One is going to return here. But if you are interested and you've got the F1 TV Pro app, I highly recommend you go back and check out some of the races from this circuit because mm -hmm. there were some absolute bangers there in the dry, in the wet. It was always an exciting race. But unfortunately, I don't think we're going back to Sepang anytime soon. Well, it, if we were, then some something else would have to fall off the calendar exactly, somewhere. Daily, exactly, daily, exactly, man. I, I'm I'm still not convinced that uh, we're we're going to go to Shanghai next year for the Chinese Grand Prix, but I'm feeling it a little bit more than say like the past couple of years when you know during COVID and then coming out of COVID, but the the, the fact that they're on the schedule for next year, I I just the, I get the feeling that China's going to happen again. At, at at some points, and I guess too, it would also depend on who and where and when, because you know they're trying to get these kind of like regional blocks of uh, of races. That if something kind of fell off in the middle of the schedule, could you rearrange everything to kind of keep everybody in the eastern hemisphere for those first couple of races? So it's not necessarily a slam dunk. I mean, you know, say if China China fell off the calendar, then maybe sure, because regionally and geographically speaking they're going to be in that that uh, geographic part of the world to start the season but like i say i get the feeling that's going to happen again next year but <clears throat> never say never but as you say there were some absolutely amazing races there uh, over the years okay uh, next story here comes from ian parks over speedcafe.com and it's entitled fia president explains one million euro drivers fine and uh, where he sat down uh, spoke with uh, mohammed ben Sulaim, the uh, president of the fia um so the the the, the back story to this is that the the world's uh, motor or the, the governing body the fia recently decided to raise the maximum fine that it could pose on uh, impose on a formula one driver and that is a uh, 1 million euros which is a, a very 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 uh, large amount of uh, uh, money and it's a it's basically a 300 percent uh, increase because previously the maximum fine was 250,000 uh, euros which is also a serious chunk of uh, cash and uh, you know for for a lot of the, the 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 drivers in formula one if they got hit with that one million dollar sorry one million euro fine that, that that would be actually more than the, uh, the 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 salary that they earned an entire year um anyways so Binsuleum explained this uh, to uh, Speed Cafe by uh, saying the following quote, the price of everything has gone up. The teams are now take, talking about billions of terms of each what 
what each team is worth, and we've still not improved our regulations dating back to Jurassic Park. We are not saying go and pay. We are saying don't make these unnecessary penalties. If you don't do it, you won't get it. Nobody will impose something on you if you follow the rules. The rules are there to be policed and to be implemented, end quote. So he he didn't actually, you know, specify exactly what you'd have to do to get like a one million euro fine uh he did uh, say to the reporter quote stick to the rules and nobody will say anything nobody will charge you with anything people are over exaggerating about this and if anyone is penalized where does the money go to grassroots motorsports investment back into the sport i hope they can make life easier for our stewards by sticking to the rules instead of misbehaving we obviously don't want them to reach that one million dollar euro so we're saying don't do it the rules are there they're transparent we have nothing to hide but I cannot tell you why the one million dollar would be or one million would be implemented. That's for the stewards, not for the presidents. The stewards are there; they are experienced; they know what to do. And the drivers—they are very intelligent. They know about the rules before they jump into the car. End quote. So, I don't know. Seems like uh, it'd have to be a pretty egregious thing to do if you're going to get like smacked with a one million euro fine. But uh, it, it's funny that they would raise it from 250 to a million and then not even give you sort of like um, a conceptual framework of, uh, you know, when that that fine might be uh, be implemented. Daily, so. daily. That's that, you just nailed it. Right. Like, you know what? Maybe maybe we could be OK because it's not going to be us that's paying it anyways, dude. We're just spectators watching, but we're certainly yep, going to yep. talk about it when and if it happens. And hopefully it doesn't. But I think that that point you make about not providing a conceptual framework is the problem here, right? That you you also ultimately need to be able to provide tiers that look, if you commit an infraction on the track, let's say Michael Schumacher, 1997 at Jerez, when he tries to intentionally knock Jacques Villeneuve out of the race by driving into the side of him. Like to me, that is a million dollar fine. You intentionally crashed into another car. He was disqualified. But to me, that's like top and tier. And banned for the rest of the season, totally, right? Totally. Like that's a yeah. top tier million euro fine. Just be crystal clear about that. And then maybe the second tier would be, um, you know what, intentionally causing a crash to alter the outcome of a race, as we saw at Singapore. Crash game. Exactly. Like set those, like provide some conceptual framework because if you leave it to, if you leave it to the FIA, you know what, one person's interpretation of a million euro fine could be very different. And based on who's adjudicating the incident, the outcome could be very, very different. And you're right, like a million euros, like for, for Lewis, for Max, like a million dollars is nothing. A million euros is nothing. But for some of these drivers, man, especially outside of the Formula One ranks, like a million euros is an unfathomable, fathomable, unfathomably huge amount of money. I, I just agree with you that, hey, look, you're the FIA and you like to write rules. You know what? Just build a conceptual framework that we can all look at to understand when and how these fines would be applied. Yeah, I, I mean, if they're transparent, then, you know, we could get a copy of it. But I mean, there has to be some sort of like, policy around it i mean otherwise it just it could be applied arbitrarily like you say like like any random steward uh you know could could uh, rally for something and say we need to impose this fine but yeah i mean that uh, those couple of examples that you gave i think uh are ideal and would, would be right at the top of uh you, you know the fine list there but yeah you know <laughs> crash gates the whole schubacher thing you know that that uh, schubacher um 
Villeneuve thing. That's 25 years ago now. We we just passed the anniversary, I think, just to the last two to Dude, three 26 weeks. Years of that ago, 26 years ago. Is it 26? Yeah. Oh my God. E- even worse. I thought it was uh, 25, but when you're talking quarter century timeframes, you're not really here or there anymore, is it? All right, uh, moving along to the next story here. I've got a couple more before we get into the uh, the, the race preview. So uh, Valentino Rossi, according to the the legendary um, uh, motorbike uh, racer, um, he said that uh, he would be very uh, you know enthusiastic to support Andre Kibiantinelli's pursuit of uh, Formula One, uh, but uh, you know he doesn't want to commit you know expanding his vr46 uh rider academy to a four-wheeled uh, competition so this is a little bit this is a nice crossover it's got rossi who is my favorite you know motorcycle rider of all time you're a big moto gp guy you got a nice crossover here so i'm not going to ramble i'll let you take this one over Mark. interesting story and it may be it it occurred to me as i was reading this article because Valentino Rossi is commenting. By the way, I don't know if people realize this, but Valentino Rossi actually got his start in karting as well, as I think a lot of young motorsports enthusiasts do. But he made the switch to two-wheel, and again, the world was better for it because he was the most transcendent motorcycle rider in the history of the planet. But it's interesting because he he makes kind of a comment about the fact that this young up-and-coming driver in Andrea Kimi Antonelli could potentially be the next Italian driver. And of course, there isn't an Italian driver in Formula One right now. And it's remarkable because we we look at Formula One over the course of the last three or four years that we've had races at Monza and we've had races at um, Mugello and we've had races like we've we've had three different races. There's two Italian races on the calendar right now, and you have an Italian-based team in Ferrari, but we don't have an Italian-based driver. And it's funny because I went and looked this up on Wikipedia. I'm like, when was the last time an Italian-born driver won a Formula One World Championship? And it was Alberto Ascari, who raced from 50 to 55, he won two titles, one in 52 and one in 53. And then Nino Farina raced from 50 to 56, and he won a title in 1950 that no Italian driver, we talk about how important it is to Italian motorsports fans that Ferrari is successful, but you know, compartmentalize them as a team right now. We haven't had an Italian born driver win a title in almost, well, I guess 70 years this year, which is, which is remarkable. And of course there's been some flourishes and like, you know, I'll bring up some of the more active recent drivers, obviously Antonio Giovinazzi, who is in a lot of ways, just a really glorified reserve driver. We had Bruni, we had Pantano, we had truly, we had Fisichella, um, and really like none of these kind of strike as like a transcendent superstar that was capable of winning Formula One Grand Prix. And of course, truly, I think competed in like 250 races or something. And Fischella competed in 231, but they weren't out there necessarily winning Grand Prix consistently. I think combined those two drivers that I just mentioned had four wins and maybe, maybe 30 podiums or something like that. But we haven't had somebody that could meaningfully contend for a world championship. So I thought that was interesting and, and maybe that's going to change, but it would, I think it would rock the Formula One world if you had an Italian driver, forget Ferrari, but an Italian driver competing for a championship. The other kind of takeaway from here is that I, I think as most people know, Valentino Rossi, when he was still competing in the top tier of motorcycle racing and MotoGP, he started uh, an academy called VR46 and 46 was the number he raced under. VR stands for Valentino Rossi and originally had a team in Moto3 and then Moto2 and then he wrapped up both of those teams and jumped into MotoGP and last year, the championship rider was a 
graduate of the VR46 Academy and Francesco Bagnaia. And this year, Bagnaia looks to be, again, contending or is currently sitting in first place and will likely win this year's MotoGP championship as well, that his VR46 Academy has been wildly successful, both in terms of developing Italian riders that have been successful in MotoGP, but now he has a team in VR46 racing that is wildly successful in winning races. So for instance, if I bring up this current standings right now, let's take a look here. So right now, if you look at the team standings, uh, Prima Pramac Racing is currently sitting in number one. That's a Ducati-based team. They're sitting in first spot with 570 points moody vr46 racing which is really in its infancy they're number two in the team's championship right now in 474 points and they have three race wins this year which is just remarkable so it just seems that whatever valentino rossi touches turns the gold the other thing he commented on in this article on formulascout.com which you and i are referencing here is that while it's not imminent he is open to the idea of the VR46 Academy potentially getting into four-wheel racing. Now, I would caution that that's probably not a good use of resources because it's incredibly expensive and there's already so many institutions and academies in that world. But if he's truly committed to helping an Italian young Italian driver uh, be successful in F1, there's worse people that could be doing it than VR46 and Valentino Rossi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking about other uh, legends, uh, Lewis Hamilton says that uh, Mercedes can build a great car, but I heard Red Bull are progressing. This is an article on Crash.net written by uh, Lewis Larkham. Um, so I'll just uh, pull up the exact uh, quote here. Uh, so Lewis, when he was uh, just talking about uh, the, the the progress and improvement that we've seen from uh, Mercedes in recent times, uh, you know, which was uh, you know uh, centered around the introduction of a new floor, and it's given uh, Lewis uh, a new boost of uh, confidence. He had the following to say, quotes, I'm incredibly proud of my team. I have total faith in them. I know we can build a great car. We haven't for the past two years, but we can build a great car. There are a lot of engineers. Nobody wants to copy anybody, uh, but they want to find their own way. But I think we are progressing. But I've heard that Red Bull are progressing as well. So we have to be really, really strategic and really clinical. They know that already. In order for us to be battling those guys, they're also quick on the straights. So we're losing two and a half tenths into turn one. But I believe I'm ready. Uh, if we could get the car that uh, can match them, we're going to have some great battles next year. End quote. So, you know, that seems like a typical uh, Lewis, uh, you know, enthusiastic uh, response. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it that, uh, you know, it, it seems like an awfully short amount of time that we've uh, gone from them being like the dominant uh, team in Formula One to being still in the top three, but uh, not necessarily. Can I um, can I share something else? with you that that I heard recently? And sure. this is this is just kind of gossipy, rumory nonsense. But obviously, Lewis has looked. You know what? Put aside the the unenforced error in Qatar, and put aside the disqualification in. In uh, Coda, which obviously was not a byproduct of his driving style or anything that he had done, he's been very good this year and he's had some strong P2 finishes and he could, in, in different realities, be sitting comfortably in P2 and he might still finish the year in P2, but he's looked exceptional and yep. he's clearly been the second best driver in the entire world of Formula One, which is remarkable for a driver like him, especially considering his age and especially considering the fact that I don't think anyone at Brackley or Bricksworth would argue that this car is what it should be based on the money they poured into it. But he's been remarkable. But the thing that I'd heard recently was this, that last year, we all know that George Russell finished ahead of Lewis Hamilton in 
the driver's championship. And obviously he had some remarkable finishes and he had all those top five finishes at the beginning of the year when the car looked really poor. And there was a lot of conversations about, Hey, is, is Lewis Hamilton like mentally hung over after the fallout from Abu Dhabi and all those kind of things. But somebody had shared something with me recently and, and I don't want to share the, the, the contact, but they had spoken to the fact that last year, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton had two very different missions in that season and that George Russell having made the move finally from Williams to to the Mercedes team was out there for George Russell that he was going out weekend in weekend out and trying to score as many points as he could and that as a result he was being quite successful relative to his teammate and that Lewis Hamilton alternatively realized that the car was fundamentally broken and he was willing to be the guinea pig for Mercedes last year, meaning that he was willing to sacrifice personal performances to help the team dial in and better understand the car that they were working with, knowing that in the short term, my results might suffer. But in the long term, in 22, 23, if I'm willing to help the team experiment and give them tons of feedback, that maybe we can build a contender in 22, maybe, sorry, in 23 and potentially 24. And that might have been the reason there was such a discrepancy between the two of them last year and why all of a sudden those results have flipped. That all of a sudden this year, it's it's a, kind of a mirror of what we saw last year, which is Lewis comfortably ahead of George Russell and significantly outperforming him both in qualifying pace, in race pace, in driving style, certainly not making the mistakes minus Qatar that his teammate is, that Lewis is clearly demonstrating to the world that he's still a better racing car driver, but it made sense to me. And certainly Total Wolf hasn't come out and acknowledged this and George Russell hasn't. And I don't think Lewis Hamilton ever will. He's got far too much class to to kind of throw his teammate under the bus. But I thought that was very, very interesting. And if true, it just speaks to what a remarkable character Lewis is that, look, you know what? A P4, a P5 is meaningless. If it means that I'm only going to score P4 and fives next year, let's do what's necessary. Let's do the dirty work this year to put this car in a better place in 23 and 24. Yeah, you know that that's a great point and a, and, a, and an interesting thing to talk about, right? And I d- I just couldn't help uh, but thinking too when you were just uh, going over that that list of uh, reasons and, uh, and and talking about that. The one thing that that popped into my mind immediately was like, well, if Lewis potentially took all this time to work with the team and give them feedback on how to improve the car, you know, he was being obviously very specific. You know, we have to do this, this, and this. And once those improvements came on the car, you know, he was you know, might have been sort of like expecting them rather than say George taking the car and just trying to wrestle around and extract everything he could uh, you know he could get out of where, where where Lewis could be a little bit more I don't know targeted a little bit more strategic around those uh, changes so that would be very very interesting uh, you know if that was indeed the case but I mean there, there hasn't been really any talk about like Lewis v George uh, this year I mean Lewis is where he is uh, you know just on the you know the body of his work uh, to date, and just being very consistent and 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 being very quick as usual. Whereas George has uh, struggled a little bit uh, at time to time, uh, you know, relatively uh, speaking. Okay, let's uh, take one final break here. We'll come back uh, and we'll start previewing the, uh, the 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 Brazilian Grand Prix. I had a note up here from the British Grand Prix. I almost said British Grand Prix instead of Brazilian Grand Prix. But we're moving ahead. We're not going into the past. We'll wait till Silverstone next year, which is always a highlight. Uh, but until uh, then, let's. Just take a quick tie belt. We'll come back on the flip side. Don't go away.
All right, welcome back to the show. A couple more things uh, to go. This uh, next news story comes from 8newsnow.com, uh, written by Ryan Matthew. It's uh, titled, Is F1 Worth It? Clark County Leader Weighs, in, uh, weighs uh, Disruptions, Promise of $1.3 billion Economic uh, Benefit. So this is uh, you know quite something. Of course, uh, we have the uh, inaugural Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix uh, coming up, and there's a couple interesting quotes in this uh, article from from Ryan Matthew. Um, so it sort of starts off saying here, Clark County Commission Chair Jim Gibson acknowledged that there was a ticking timeline for the Las Vegas Grand Prix from the start. Uh, so then the first question that was asked uh, by uh, a Politics Now anchor, John Langler, and the, the question was, did it happen too quickly? And then um, Gibson responded, quotes, by any standard, it happened way uh, too quickly. Uh, once we got into it, it was obvious the race was going to be a real challenge for us and for the entire community. Um, so that's 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 interesting, right? Uh, so when uh, you asked about uh, you know other things about uh, you know the, the the Las Vegas Grand Prix, Gibson went on to, to say, "quote It's okay with us. At the end of the day, Formula One has made a commitment. They didn't pack up and leave when we said we we're going to pause this. They understand this race is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than they they are." End quote. Uh, but he goes on to say that this is a benefit to all of us. So it has not been a sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice, but not all. Uh, I think we have a couple of years to level out uh, this year has been very disruptive end quote so a couple little tiny nuggets uh, mark uh, what is your your takeaway from uh, these admissions from yeah the Clark i just County Chair? i find it fascinating yeah. right that it's it's such a unique city it's a city of I, I think the metro population is like two and a half million people now it's it's growing exponentially and i think there's a lot of people migrating over from uh from the pacific northwest and from california but this is a city that also in recent years has become a big league town right that they had that expansion nhl yes. team in 2017 and then the oakland raiders moved um of course they're they're very much a candidate for the next round of NBA expansion. Of course, they got a WNBA team, I think, in 2018 when the Aces moved to town. They opened a brand new arena in T-Mobile. They opened the brand new NFL stadium in Legion. They opened the brand new Mitchell Ultra Arena, which is where the WNBA team plays. Uh, if it NBA team comes, they're going to get a new stadium as well. And then, of course, John Fisher, who's the owner of the Oakland Athletics, the Major League Baseball team, he's in kind of final deep negotiations to move his ball club there. So Major League Baseball is going to set up shop there. Now, that one is super controversial because it's going to extract a ton of money from Clark County to fund that ballpark. And I think there's a lot of opposition to that. But on top of all of this, and of course, this is a unique city because its entire premise is based on being a tourist destination and you need mechanisms to draw and attract people to come to that city and spend their money. And I think big league sports is a great way of doing that. Uh, I just, I think mm -hmm. F1's a little bit different because you know what, you build Allegiant Stadium and you know there's going to be some traffic around that stadium eight days a week or eight Sundays a year. But F1, it really compromises the accessibility to the city center for weeks or maybe a month or two prior to a Grand Prix where they've got to set up and tear down. Now, some of, I think, the friction and pain that local residents have felt recently are kind of one-timers that, hey, they need to build the infrastructure and there's a lot of construction. They need to resurface the roads and, hey, you're not going to have to do that every single year. But it's going to be interesting to see how receptive 
the local community is to this race, right? Like global motorsports fans are going to embrace it, especially if it makes for good racing. But there's also people in the city that have to live with the inconvenience. And in Singapore, I think they've learned to adjust. In Monaco, it's just been the way of life for seven decades, for maybe two generations now. But this is something that people in Las Vegas are going to have to learn to live with. And I, I, I'm still very much suspect of the potential economic impact that if interest in F1 falls off, then you know what you've committed to the city in a big way as Formula One because you've built all this super expensive infrastructure and you've committed to going there for ten years mm-hmm. at minimum. Um, that's that's a little bit risky. But again, it's also not like Coda where you attract four hundred fifty thousand people over a three day race weekend. That attendance is going to be much slimmer. Now the ASP or the average sales price of your tickets is going to be much higher. But again, it's fewer people spending presumably less money than four hundred fifty thousand people. And where's that money going to go? Is it going to go into existing businesses like existing hotels and restaurants? Well, were they going to be full already? And is there potentially an opportunity cost here? Like how much incremental income is this going to generate for the city? And from an exposure perspective, if you're Baku or you're Singapore hosting a Grand Prix is really great because you get to promote your city to a global audience that probably isn't super familiar with it. Dude, everyone knows Las Vegas. Like you got to think Las Vegas is basically at the saturation point now. Like, is this going to attract additional visitors outside of the race weekend? I don't know. Like, I'm still excited to see what it looks like. Of course, I hope it's going to be successful uh, because I think it's good for all of us in North America and for North American motorsports fans. And in turn, it's going to be great for F1. I'm just, I'm very suspicious about what the community benefits of this race are going to be. Yeah, it's funny too. Like uh, you made uh, like a couple of interesting uh, comments there. The first one you're saying that uh, you, you know that there's what two and a half billion people in the metro Las Vegas area, and and it's funny because I was thinking about it's like I've met and know so many people from literally every single corner of the USA, but I don't know a single person who said that hey, I'm from Vegas. I know literally. Practically everyone I know has gone totally, to Vegas totally. as a visitor, but I've never met like actually someone that's uh, you know from Vegas. So I mean, obviously that city is changing. There's uh, you know uh, you know it's growing all the time. So it's interesting because you know I always got this um, you know th- this impression you know probably incorrectly that it was always this smaller type city this destination as a as a, you know this gambling resort whatever it is and all the you know the the fun things that you can do in Vegas but uh, you know it's really changed i mean to to me like in the last several years it has more of that big league feel to it because before you, like you say they never had like anything all they had before was like the, the UNLV running yeah, rebels yeah, yeah, right yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like yeah, the big yeah, yeah. sports sports uh, game in town but they, they have the golden knights now the 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 Las Vegas Raiders and some of these other ones you were talking about it's got like a very very different feel to it It it's always glitzy and glamour but now it seems like the city as a general is you know starting to mature a little bit and kind of branching out into different things that you know would I guess previously could be considered like very un Las Vegas like so it's kind of it's just you know and you know I work in that sort of a profession of like land development and and planning and things like that so from you know a professional point of view I find it fascinating to watch the city evolve but also like you say like the you know, Formula One is committed to them in in a, in a big time way like you know, like this ten year commitment and pouring in tons of money and things like that I mean there, there's obviously going to be some hiccups and little speed bumps uh, especially at the beginning here and you know who knows where it'll go in the long run that you know there's there are, are obviously some risks but they they must think that the potential you know reward for it outweighs like any any risk that uh, that there could be so 
we'll have to you know revisit this periodically over the years uh mark uh, before uh <laughs> we can make the final call on that so uh finally uh you know before we uh we we pulled you know pull out the plug here and uh, call it another night we have the uh, brazilian grand prix this uh, weekend uh, going uh, you know at its uh, usual place at uh, autodromo jose carlos pace i hope you haven't seen that as it passed you know anyways interlagos in brazil and sao paulo is a classic track it's an older school formula track it's a little narrow in places it's twisty interlagos speeds between two lakes a uh, very very uh you know scenic uh, location for the track itself and uh, last year we had uh, a sprint weekend there we have uh, a sprint weekend there this year so the first time uh, we saw the brazilian grand prix being held uh, was back in 1972 the most uh, wins for a driver is alan prost who won there six times over the course of uh, his uh, very illustrious uh, Formula One career. The most uh, wins for a constructor is uh, McLaren, who has won 12. So last year, we had uh, Kevin Magnussen on pole for this one. That was uh, quite uh, a memorable uh, event uh, when, when K-Mag took pole. So he set a, a pole time of 111.674. Uh, the podium was uh, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, and Carlos Sainz. George Russell setting the fastest lap of a 113 point seven eight five so some of the most uh, winningest drivers in addition to uh, alan pross uh, carlos reutemann and michael schumacher won four apiece uh, sebastian vettel lewis hamilton have uh, three wins apiece uh, and then there's a whole bunch of drivers including emerson fittipaldi nelson Piquet, nigel mansell the great ayrton senna mika hakkinen felipe massa mark weber nico rosberg of all uh, two wins apiece like i said uh, mclaren have uh, 12 wins uh, ferrari have 11 wins there Williams and Mercedes have uh, six wins apiece, so some uh, big-time uh, winners there. And uh, Red Bull have already uh, scored uh, four race victories at uh, at Interlagos. Uh, Mark, we we were talking this uh, before we went on to uh, air this uh, this evening. Um, it's it's a sprint weekend, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about this uh, too much. Um, so here we go again. This time last year, the Brazilian Grand Prix or the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, as it's uh, more uh, you know properly known. I'm living in the past here. Uh, the, the sprint weekend format worked. It was uh, pretty pretty exciting. Uh, we you know we had uh, it was it was a great weekend, obviously for uh, for George Russell who won the sprint race and then also won the the Grand Prix itself. And uh, not only that, uh, but uh, we had a you know two Mercedes on the podium with uh, with George and Lewis Hamilton. Then you had uh, two Ferraris, and then you had uh, Fernando Alonso in the Alpine, and then you didn't have uh, Max and Sergio in, in the top five. The two Red Bulls uh, you know, came home in, uh, in sixth and seventh, but... Um, you know, at that point, uh, Max had already, uh, you know, wrapped up the championship. And we're, I, I guess, you know, apart from, you know, the phenomenal weekend that George Russell had one year ago, this is when, uh, you know, Max kind of put uh, Sergio at his place. And, you know, there was that uh, <laughs> kind of like tense, uh, you know, conversation between Max and his, uh, his engineer. But let's just talk about it quickly, Mark. Despite what happened last year in the sprint format uh, at Sao Paulo, is this something we're looking forward to? Because I'm kind of, sort of, not really too excited, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, because I'm not very excited about it, that they're going to over deliver. Well, I'm not really expecting too much. Is is that uh, what, what do you think of that? Am I just yeah. being? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to try to get at right? I, I totally appreciate it. And you know what? Obviously, I'm not super thrilled about the sprint race weekend format. And I think my my perception or my enjoyment of them would be very different if there was something on stake. At this point, it's just more of the same, which is just really Red Bull just kind of running roughshod over the rest of the competition. But if there's going to be a sprint race weekend anywhere, it might as well be at Interlagos because this is unquestionably one of the very best circuits on the entire planet. It runs anti-clockwise, which makes it unique. It's carved out of the side of a hill. It has, I think, five left-handed turns and nine right-handed turns, although I could have that in reverse. It's an incredibly, incredibly exciting track. It's got a combination of slow and medium-speed corners. Teams typically go in with a high downforce setup. It's it's just an exceptional place to watch a Grand Prix. Like you said, it's pretty narrow. Uh, your, your mistakes are typically penalized. We're going to see Pirelli bring out kind of the medium range, the C2s, the C3s, the C4s, ultimately. But it's just yep. one of the very best circuits on the calendar. It's also one of the shortest, I think, after after Mexico and, and Monaco. But ultimately, it's just one of the very best places to see a Formula One Grand Prix. Now, I don't know what it's like to see it in person. I think I understand the neighborhood and the community around it. Is it especially safe? But in terms of putting on a Formula One Grand Prix and a spectacle, it's one of the very best. And there was a real significant risk that Interlagos was going to drop off the calendar a couple of years ago because there was a competing developer in another Brazilian city that wanted to wrestle the Brazilian Grand Prix away. And I think under Bernie, it seemed like that was a certainty. But fortunately, that that Grand Prix circuit didn't get off the ground. And I don't think they ever kind of broke ground or kind of bowled out the, the bulldozers. But I think we're very lucky that Interlagos, despite everything that's happened with respect to Formula One, continues to be on the calendar. And I think this is going to be the 40th time that we've raced at this track. And I think like you suggested a couple of minutes ago, Ferrari's won here 10 times. So they've been very successful. Again, I have every reason to suspect that Red Bull will be very successful this weekend. But if we're going to have a, a sprint race weekend anywhere, it might as well be on a track that is that is very, very, very fun to watch. And just to kind of correct my previous comment a couple of minutes ago, five right-handers and nine left-handers with a ton of directional changes. Yeah, I was just uh, taking a look here at the, uh, the 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 weather mark on Sunday afternoon or Saturday. It's going to be uh, we're going to have uh, highs of uh, 28 Celsius or 82 Fahrenheit, 14 degrees for a low, and so that's uh, in the mid 50s. Then on Sunday, uh, going to be a little bit uh, cooler. We're looking at uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, high of 22 degrees Celsius, same low for 14 degrees, and so that's uh, low 70s of uh, Fahrenheit. You know, importantly, at least at the moment, it looks like the the, the weather's going to be a little bit uh, sunny on uh, Saturday afternoon, so we'll have to, to wait and see whether or not uh, that, that pans out. But at least it looks like uh, the, the weather's going to be uh, decent. Um, like you mentioned here, it's a bit of a shorter lap. The, the lap record, uh, or the fastest lap uh, last year was set uh, by George Russell. It's a 113.785. The uh, the length of the course is, uh, it's not very long. It's only 2.68 miles or 4.31 kilometers, 71 laps, uh, total race distance of uh, 305.88 kilometers or 190.06 uh, miles. So uh, there there you go, uh, right uh, right there. Not, uh, not, not the longest uh, one, uh, but, uh, you know, 113. You know, still get uh, a decent amount of uh, laps uh, in there. So the the, the race lap records uh, there was uh, set by uh, Valtteri Bottas in 2018 for Mercedes, and his time was a 118 point. 
five four zero. If you look at uh, last year's uh, fastest lap time, said so like George Russell, his fastest lap time was one thirteen point seven eight time. Kevin Magnuson's pole time was a one eleven point six seven four. So uh, who, who knows uh, whether or not they can get close to to Valtteri's, um you know lap uh, record time, but uh, it seems a little bit. Um, improbable we'll wait and see um anyways mark uh, I, I guess do we see do we call it the the way that we've been calling every yes, other race yes, this, uh, we, this year we, that max is going to win this one yeah yeah <laughs> i feel like we're just going to do that you know and i hate to be so negative but uh I, i've kind of come to the point now that especially the last couple of weeks of like uh, i'm just so done with this let's just uh, go into the off season and come back uh, for for <laughs> for march but uh you know that's what happens when you have uh you know the the season that wrapped up uh, so early but hey mark breaking news just as we're, we're talking here just got a notification on my phone the texas rangers have won the oh, world congratulations series congratulations to everyone yeah. Yeah, the Dallas so. Fort Worth Briscoe Metropolis Metro Metro area. <laughs> Congratulations to everyone in Dallas on your first World Series championship. That's incredible. And wasn't it just like a couple of years ago, they lost over a hundred games or something yeah. like that. So the, what a turnaround to, to go from such a, a low point to winning the world series. That is absolutely incredible. I can't wait to see the pictures tomorrow. Like, uh, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when Kansas city won the world series and see like all these huge crowds out celebrating and things like that. And I'm dude, sure that, it's, uh, that, like, it they're, continues they're go the nuts. string of Texas major league baseball dominance because the cheaters, yep. and I will call them, than that. The Houston Astros, of course, had had a very successful <laughs> run over the last few seasons and have consistently made it to the uh I can't always forget to. I can't I still can't get my head around the fact that the Houston Astros are in the American League, but they made a, a number of, of pennants. But yeah, like if you look at the World Series results uh over the last couple of years. Let's take a look here. So obviously this year, the Texas Rangers won. Last year it was Houston. The year before, Houston lost in the World Series. Houston lost in 2019. They won in 2017. So a lot of Texas representation. So this is the third Texas team to win a World Series title since 2017. Pretty impressive. Yeah, but before we just wrap it up, like you're more than just like a, a mere baseball fan. Like you had the opportunity. Like there was. What, what did you just tell everyone? Yeah, your story? Yeah. So I don't talk then? a lot about this, but when I was in high school, I was a very, very competitive major or major league baseball player, baseball player. Um, and I, I mm-hmm. thought at one point there was a very strong possibility that I would have become part of the Oakland Athletics system. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. And at the time, I couldn't get a full ride scholarship to a US school, which is where you needed to go to be able to kind of advance your skill set at that point. And the idea of kind of paying out of pocket as an international student just wasn't worth it. But of course, I was, and let's be realistic, I was never going to play Major League Baseball, but there was an opportunity where I could have extended my baseball career by another couple of years. And of course, in hindsight, you always look back and like, yeah, I wonder what if, what if, what if, what if, but baseball is a sport I, I'm very passionate about. But that said, I think in a lot of ways, I've kind of fallen out of love with it. Although I think they've done some really great things this year with the pitch clock and things like that. Like they've sped up the game kind of mm-hmm. incredibly and my son loves it. So maybe I'll get more into it. But basketball has become kind of my first love as far as team sports are concerned. But I'll always have a very soft spot for for baseball. 
Cool, cool. All right. Well, I think that's as good as place as any to tend uh, to, to to wrap it up. Thank you, one and all, for tuning in this evening. Tuning in, I guess uh, that's a little bit kind of. I, I've just exposed myself for the old person that I am. <laughs> Thank you for for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, uh, send us an email, scooterfwhatpod at gmail or give us a follow on X. Still haven't uh, made a call yet on what we're going to do with our social media, but for the time being, at least uh, it was sliding to our DMs. Say hello at Scooter F1 pod and that's uh, that that's a wrap for us you can also uh, do us a favor head on over to apple podcast spotify etc leave us a five-star rating or review if you enjoy the the show share it with a friend all that good stuff and uh, mark and i would be extremely grateful because uh, that's the easiest way you could support us and what we do here and uh, there's no cost to it uh, other than just a, a few moments of your of your time which we know everybody is so super busy these days and that's why it means all all the very well, so much to us anyhow uh, we'll leave it there thanks for for, for uh, hanging out with us tonight enjoy the, the race this weekend and we'll talk to you again on Sunday night so we'll talk to you then take care bye for now